Welcome to the uh, February 1st uh, Budget and Finance Committee. As you have noted, probably that we're now starting at 10 a.m. I am Supervisor Connie Chan as chair of the Budget Committee. I'm joined by our vice chair, Supervisor Rafael Mendelman, and probably shortly we'll be joined by member, Supervisor Asha, Asha Safayi. And uh, our clerk today is Brent Halipa. Thank you. Halipa, and I would also like to thank uh, SFGTV, uh, Kalina Mendoza, uh, for broadcasting this meeting. Uh, Mr. Clerk, do you have any announcements? Thank you, Madam Chair. Uh, just a friendly reminder for those in attendance in the chamber to please make sure the sound all cell phones and electronic devices. Uh, the Board of Supervisors and its committees are convening hybrid meetings that allow in-person attendance and public comment while still providing remote access and public comment via telephone. The board recognizes that equitable public access is essential and will be taking public comment as follows. First, public comment will be taken on each item on this agenda. Those attending in person will be allowed to speak first and then we'll take those who are waiting on the telephone line. For those watching either channels 26, 28, 78, or 99 and sfgovtv.org, the public comment call-in number is streaming across the screen. That number is 415-655-0001. Again, that's 415-655-0001. Uh, enter the meeting ID 2482-617-4739, and then pound and pound again. When connected, you will hear the meeting discussions, but you will be muted in in listening mode only. When your item of interest comes up and public comment is called, those joining, in, uh, those joining us in person should line up to speak, and those on telephone should dial star three to be added to the speaker line. If you're on your telephone, please remember to turn down your TV and all listening devices you may be using, and each speaker will be allowed up to two minutes to speak unless otherwise stated. Uh, alternatively, uh, you may submit public comment in writing in either of the following ways. Email them to myself, the, pub, uh, the Budget and Finance Committee Clerk, at brent.jalipa at sfgov.org. If you submit public comment via email, it will be forwarded to the supervisors and also included as part of the official file. You may also send your written comments uh, via U.S. Postal Service to our office in City Hall, that's one, Dr. Carlton B. Goodlett Place, room 244, San Francisco, California, 94102. And finally, Madam Chair, items acted upon today are expected to appear on the Board of Supervisors agenda of February 7th, unless otherwise stated. Madam Chair. Thank you, Mr. Clerk. Uh, I want to acknowledge that uh, Member Supervisor Safai is online, uh, will be joining us shortly in person. And uh, wanted to let everyone know that uh, the way that we're going to go about with the presentation today is limiting pre all presentation to three minutes. And those that actually have fiscal impact accompany with the BLA, with the budget and legislative analyst report, let's have the presentation and the report from the budget and legislative analyst first before we uh, go forward with all the questioning. So thank you. And Mr. Clark, please call item number one. Yes, item number one is a resolution authorizing the Arts Commission to enter into an agreement with Treasure Island Series 1 LLC 
the developer of a hilltop park at Yerba Buena Island to construct a foundation for a 69-foot-tall sculpture by Hiroshi Sugimoto as part of the Treasure Island Arts Program for an amount of approximately 274000 for a term starting upon approval of this resolution and ending upon the completion of the foundation and to authorize the Director of Cultural Affairs to enter into any additions, amendments, or other modifications to the foundation contract to not materially increase the obligations or liabilities of the city or reduce the benefits to the city and are necessary or advisable to complete the transaction contemplated by this resolution. Members of the public are joining us remotely and wish to comment. Uh, please call 415-655-0001. The meeting ID is 2482-617-4739. Then pound and pound again. Once connected to the meeting, you'll need to press star three to enter the speaker line. A system prompt will indicate that you've raised your hand and when the system indicates you have been unmuted, there will be a cue to begin your comments. Madam Chair. Thank you, Mr. Clerk. This agreement is sponsored by Supervisor Matt Dorsey, which is in his district. So today we will start off with uh, Mr. Brian Dahl from Supervisor Dorsey's office and a verbal presentation by Mary Chow, Public Arts Program Manager from the Arts Commission. Mr. Dahl, the floor is yours. Thank you, Chair Chan. Good morning, Supervisor Mandelin and Supervisor Safai. My name is Brian Dahl, representing Supervisor Matt Dorsey and District 6. In coming years, Treasure Island is planned to see approximately 8,000 new housing units and other developments, including enhanced open spaces and small businesses. Along with these additions, the island will be home to new art installations as part of the Treasure Island Arts Program. With me today is Mary Chu from the Arts Commission to speak more about one of the first pieces planned to be installed. Charles Sullivan from the City Attorney's Office is also here to assist with any questions. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Brian, and good morning, supervisors. So this sculpture is the first of a series of artworks to be installed as part of the Treasure Island Arts Program. The program is funded by 1% for art fee of private development on Treasure Island and Yerba Buena Island. This program is being managed by the San Francisco Arts Commission on behalf of the Treasure Island Development Authority. This sculpture is by internationally renowned artist uh, Hiroshi Sugimoto, and this is his first permanent public sculpture in the country. It rises to a height of 69 feet and is composed of glass reinforced concrete and stainless steel. The sculpture acts as a monumental sundial evoking the Tower of the Sun from the 1939 Golden Gate International Exposition on Treasure Island. There will also be a stone element placed in the park that will mark the noon shadow of the sculpture at the spring and autumnal equinoxes. We are seeking approval to enter into contract with the developers of the park for the construction of the foundation for the sculpture. Based on the advice of our city attorney, we are bringing this agreement to the Board of Supervisors because there is an arbitration clause in the subsidiary contract between the Treasure Island developer and the construction contractor hired by the developer to complete the work, and the city is responsible for paying for the work. So I'm happy to answer any questions you may have on this item. Thank you. Thank you, Chair Chan. Nick Menard from the Budget Legislative Analyst Office. Item one is a resolution approving an agreement between the Treasure Island Development Authority and the Arts Commission with Treasure Island Series 1 LLC, which is uh, one of the developers for the Treasure Island 
master development. Uh, they are responsible for building a park in which this uh, sculpture will be placed. And they've hired a subcontractor, uh, Jensen, which we detail in the report, Jensen, to pour the concrete foundation. So this contract is for the concrete foundation for that sculpture. There's a separate contract for the art installation that was competitively procured by the Arts Commission. This is a sole source contract, although the Arts Commission did solicit um, um, informally bids from other, other entities that were capable of doing this work, which we reviewed and were higher than this $274,000. Um, so therefore, we recommend approval of this resolution. Thank you, Mr. Menard. Um, any questions? Seeing none, thank you so much for the presentation. Thank you, Mr. Daw, and thank you, Supervisor Dorsey's office. Uh, Mr. Clerk, let's go to public comments on this. Yes, members of the public who wish to speak on this item and are joining us in person should line up now. For those listening remotely, please call 415-655-0001. Enter the meeting ID of 2482-617-4739, then pound twice. Once connected, press star three to enter the speaker line. For those already in the queue, please continue to wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted, and that'll be your signal to begin your comments. Seeing no in-person speakers here in the chamber, and Madam Chair, we have no speakers on the line. Wonderful, thank you. Public comment is now closed. Uh, I move this to the full board with recommendation and Mr. Clerk, please call the roll. On that motion to forward this resolution to the full board with a positive recommendation. Vice Chair Mandelman. Mandelman, aye. Member Safai. Aye. Safai, aye. Chair Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. We have three ayes. The motion has been approved that item is moving forward. And Mr. Clerk, please call item number two. Yes, item number two is a resolution approving modification number nine to, airport, to an airport contract, uh, project management support services for the San Francisco International Airport Courtyard 3 connector project with PGH Wong and Partners JV, a joint venture consisting of PGH Wong Engineering Incorporated and Avila and Associates Consulting Engineers Incorporated to increase the contract amount by 10.6 million for a new not to exceed amount of 27.85 million for services pursuant to charter and making findings under CEQA. Members of the public who are joining us remotely and wish to comment, please call 415-655-0001, enter the meeting ID of 2482-617-4739, then press pound twice. Once connected, press star three to enter the speaker line. A prompt will indicate that you have raised your hand and when the system indicates you have been unmuted as your signal to begin your comments. Madam Chair. Thank you, Mr. Clerk. And uh, we have here is Deanna Volek from Government Affairs Manager of SFO. Is she online? I am online. Good Thank morning, you. Chair Chan. Good morning. Fellow supervisors, good morning. The item before you requests approval of modification number nine to an existing project management support services contract with PGH Wong and Partners JV for the airport's Courtyard 3 connector project. The airport agrees with the BLA recommendations and a request to amend the not to exceed amount by 7,750,000 for a total amount not to exceed 25 million. Project management support services include project oversight, design and construction management services, project controls, contract administration, cost estimating, and field inspections. This contract results from a 2017 competitive request for proposals process. PGH Wong and Partners JV was the highest ranked proposer out of four vendors. 
The contract has been modified eight times and last came to the Board of Supervisors in 2020 for modification number five to increase the not to exceed amount to accommodate the scope of work. The budget for project management support services increased to address the remaining project scope of the building interior, which includes the planning and build out of the Airport Integrated Operations Center or AIOC. Contract costs are funded by airport capital revenues. As I stated earlier, the airport is in agreement with the BLA recommendation to reduce the amount to $7,750,000. We also agreed to conduct a formal performance evaluation of the contractor within 90 days and to reduce the contract not to exceed amount to $25 million. This reduction will make the contract not to exceed amount coextensive with the contract term, which expires January 2025. These amendments have been circulated to your staff in the city attorney's office. They have been found to be non-substantive and I'm joined by members, I'm joined by Claudia Lupin, who's the director of project management, and we're happy to answer any questions. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Bullock. So item two is a resolution approving the ninth modification to the airport's agreement with PGH Wong and partners. It's a joint venture of consulting firms providing construction management services, as was just noted by the airport. The modification increases the term of the agreement through January 2025 and increases the not to exceed amount to $27.85 million. One of the issues we look at when we're looking at a contract modification is how the department is measuring contractor performance. When we last looked at this agreement back in 2020, the airport had recently evaluated the contractor performance and the contractor had scored well, but the airport hasn't done those evaluations, which typically occur annually in the past two years. So although there's been $7 million worth of work, there hasn't been those evaluations over the past two years. So that forms the basis of one of our recommendations here. I think the other issue in this report is that the modifications, the resolutions not to exceed amount is built on spending through June 2026. The agreement is through January 2025. So it's for that reason we have the following recommendations, which the airport does agree with. One is to reduce the resolutions not to exceed amount to $25 million. That will provide spending through January 2025, which is when the agreement's being extended to. And then second, to request that the airport send the board the performance evaluation that they've committed to do within the next three months after this is approved and include it in the legislative file for this item. I do think that that's important information for the board to have when reviewing these kind of agreements. But we also recommend approval of the resolution as amended, and I'm happy to answer any other questions. Thank you. I just wanted to say that I appreciate the budget and legislative analyst report, but I have a few comments, but I see that Vice Chair Mandelman has questions, so please. Well, I guess I think they're both for the airport, but I guess I am trying to understand the discrepancy between the $27,850,000 and the $25 million. And since this is an extension of the contract anyway, 
what's going I I don't quite understand what's happening there. I don't know if it's for the BL. I mean, they're fine with you. They're, you've you've proposed aligning them back in January for the amount that would be spent in January, but we're missing, you know, four million dollars. So are they going to come back to extend it further and add another four million dollars, or what's, like, what's happening? So, Supervisor Madeline, in line with the BLA's recommendation, we have lined up the contract budget to the contract term. And if we do need to extend the contract for either timing or money, we will come back to the board as required under Chapter 9.118. Okay. Well, are you anticipating that it's going to be more than $25 million? Under current uh, budget estimates, yes, but because the contract term went to January 2025, and that was because we we're still figuring out timing and schedules, we brought this uh, to our uh, to the board with knowing a better estimate of the budget, but not as well of an estimate of the timing. But to the BLA's recommendation, we do agree we should have it in line with the contract term itself. Okay. I mean, it does have a little bit of a feeling of, well, we're just going to keep spending for some unknown period of time and the cost will go to something and maybe it's 25 million or maybe it's a lot more than 25 million and we just don't know. We have good estimates and I'd like to defer to Cla um, Claudia Luquin, who is our director of project management to um, further uh, uh, explain those costs that we have set out um, and the contractor. Uh, good morning, everyone. Um, Claudia Luquin, Director of Project Management. At the airport, we use uh, progressive design build methodology to deliver our projects. Uh, we forecast in regards to construction, a schedule, and budget that we will go until 2026. But due to our methodology and the delivery and the planning for the IOC, um, we will be refining our costs and schedule, as Diana mentioned, but at this point, uh, our request and the recommendation that is coming up from the Board of Supervisors, we agreed to that and will allow us to move forward with our project at this time. Our process um, allows us to refine uh, the schedule and the cost of the services needed to support our construction projects, but that is still um, to be refined as we restart interiors work in the IOC. And just for my edification, so with a progressive design build contract, when you start down the path, is there an understanding that you don't really know what it's going to be when it all adds up and just sort of... We have a good sense. Um, that's a good question. We have a good sense of the anticipated cost and schedule, big, but because of the methodology that we use, uh, the early procurement of trade packages, um, trying to um, exp uh, align our design and construction and find efficiencies as we move along. Um, the final cost is defined as we do the progressive award of trade packages. And this contract that is uh, for your review for professional services, those services support that construction schedule. Okay. So we do have a good sense, but it, it's defined, better defined yeah. as we progress on the construction side. I and we, I was talking about this with the BLA a little bit earlier, like certainly the airport has relative to some other departments a, a, a relatively good uh, reputation in terms of construction management, I think. But it is, um, 
and, and recognizing that there was a, a global pandemic in the intervening period. But, but this contract does seem to have gone, I mean, the project seems to have gone quite a bit over and the contract itself seems to be going quite a bit over. So anyway, all right, thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you, Vice Chair Mandelman. I share uh, Vice Chair Mandelman's like sentiments. I mean, the fact that this is the ninth time that it's coming to before the board for amendment, the eight previous time that clearly there are not to ex increasing of not to exceed amount, their labor rates adjustments, um, which I can understand to some extent. I think, but that is the fact that that it's now coming to the board for the ninth time for a contract amendment. That is what, why we're having those questions. Um, and given the fact that it also haven't received an annual performance audit like it should, it just adds up to all the doubts that we have uh, what's to come in 2025, even with the approval of this not to exceed of 25 million. So with that, I, I do want to sort of, um, I, I do want to publicly say for all city departments moving forward that it is best to conduct and, and finish the performance audit uh, if in the events that you want to submit for a contract amendment so that you know, there are clear guidelines and, and information for the budget and legislative analysts to really evaluate whether this, is, this can be recommended for approval. Retroactive performance audit uh, pose a challenge both for the board, put us in the impossible position to hold everyone accountable and making sure that the process is transparent. Uh, with that, um, is there any more questions? Not seeing no other questions, uh, please. Uh, Mr. Clark, let's go to public comments. Yes, Madam Chair, members of the public who wish to speak on this item are joining us in person should line up now. For those listening remotely, please call 415-655-0001, enter the meeting ID of 2482-617-4739, and then press pound twice once connected. Press star three to enter the speaker line. And if you're already in the queue, please continue to wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted, and that'll be your signal to begin your comments. Seeing no speakers in the chamber. And Madam Chair, we have no speakers in the queue. No speaker? Great. Thank you. Seeing no more public comments, public comment is now closed. Um, I would like to uh, make the motion to adopt the amendments as proposed by the budget and legislative analyst, which is amending the um, to actually uh, conduct a performance evaluation of the contractor within 90 days and to submit the report to the legislative file and to, amount, uh, to amend the proposed resolution to reduce the contract not to exceed amount to a total of $25 million. Uh, Mr. Clerk, please call the roll. On that motion to amend this resolution, um, to accept the BLA's uh, recommendations that airport staff perform a performance evaluation and to reduce the contract amount to 25 million, Vice Chair Safai. Oh, sorry, Vice Chair Mandelman. Habits. Mandelman, aye. Member Safai. Safai, aye. Chair Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. We have three ayes. Thank you. And uh, I would like to move to uh, forward this item to full board with recommendation. On Please that go. motion to forward this resolution to the full board with the positive recommendation as amended. Vice Chair Mandelman. Mandelman, aye. Member Safai. Safi, aye. Chair Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. We have three ayes. Thank you. The motion passes. Uh, so thank you. Thank you. 
Uh, Mr. Clerk, please call item number three. Yes, item number three is a resolution approving an original, uh, original agreement between Department of Public Health and the California Health and Human Services Agency to exchange health and social services information uh, in the amount of zero dollars for a term exceeding 10 years, effective January 31st, 2023, remaining in full for force and effect until terminated by the DPH or the California Health and Human Services Agency and to authorize DPH to enter into any uh, amendments or modifications to the agreement prior to its final execution by all parties that do not materially increase the obligations or liabilities to the city and are necessary to effectuate the purposes of this agreement or this resolution. Members of the public who are joining us remotely and wish to comment, call 415-655-0001. Enter the meeting ID of 2482. 617-4739 and press pound twice. Once connected, press star three to enter the speaker line. A prompt will indicate you have raised your hand and when the system indicates you have been unmuted, that is your signal to begin your comments. Madam Chair. Thank you, Mr. Clerk. Uh, today we have a verbal presentation by Eric Raffin, Chief Information Officer from Department of Public Health. I assume this is also online. Good morning, Madam Chair, I'm here. Thank you, please go ahead. Thank you. Uh, good morning. DPH is seeking your committee's uh, favorable recommendations of the full board to enter into the aforementioned new data sharing agreement uh, that is pursuant to the passage of AB 133, which establishes the data exchange framework or DXF program uh, that will be overseen by the California Health and Human Services Agency. Um, as noted, it's a no-cost agreement and before you today because it is a perpetual agreement until such a time that either DPH or the HHS uh, decides to um, um, end the program. The uh, pioneering part of this program is that while DPH actively um, shares information with other healthcare organizations in a digital manner, the DXF framework um, aims to include social services agencies and ultimately public health departments. So it would include the public health part of DPH as well and health insurers in a much more robust information sharing framework. And that's exciting uh, to all of us in DPH. And I am pleased to answer any questions your committee has. Any questions? I guess we're pleased, uh, very pleased with the data sharing. Uh, look forward to seeing more about the data sharing results. Um, thank you, and uh, Mr. Clerk, please call public comments on this item. Yes, Madam Chair, members of the public who wish to speak on this item and are joining us in person should line up now. For those who are listening remotely, please call 415-655-0001 with a meeting ID of 2482-617-4739 and press pound twice. Uh, once connected, press star three to enter the speaker line. Please continue to wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted, and that will be your signal to begin your comments. Seeing no in-person speakers here in the chamber. And Madam Chair, we have no speakers in the queue. Thank you. Seeing no more public comment. Public comment is now closed. Uh, I move this item to full board with recommendation. And Mr. Clerk, please call the roll. On that motion, to forward this resolution to the full board with a positive recommendation. Vice Chair Mandelman. Mandelman, aye. Member Safai? Safai, aye. Chair Chan? Aye. Chan, aye. We have three ayes. Thank you. This motion passes. And Mr. Clerk, please call item number four. 
as item number four. Is a resolution retroactively authorizing the Department of Public Health to submit a one-year application for calendar year 2023 to continue to receive funding for the integrated HIV surveillance and prevention programs for health departments from the Centers of Disease Control and Prevention and requesting approximately 7.8 million in HIV prevention funding for San Francisco from January 1st, 2023 through May 31st, 2024. Members of the public who are joining us remotely and wish to comment, please call 415-655-0001. Enter the meeting ID of 2482-617-4739 and press pound twice. Once connected, press star three to enter the speaker line. A prompt will indicate that you've raised your hand and when the system indicates you have been unmuted, please begin your comments. Madam Chair. Thank you, Mr. Clerk. Uh, we have uh, Nicole Trainer, Budget and Contract and Communications Manager from Department of Public Health here to give us a verbal presentation. Great, thank you. Good morning, supervisors. My name is Nicole Trainer. I'm the System of Care Contract Budget and Communications Manager in the Community Health Equity and Promotion Branch, also known as CHEP. The Integrated HIV Surveillance and Prevention Programs for Health Departments from the Center of, Center of Disease Control and Prevention is a continuation of a grant the board approved back in 2020 and 2021. We thank you for your continued support as we strive to achieve zero HIV transmissions, zero HIV-related um, stigma, and zero HIV-related deaths. This grant funds awards um, are awarded to the San Francisco Department on an annual basis to cover an integrated HIV surveillance and prevention programs um, for San Francisco residents. This particular grant has 10 HIV prevention and surveillance strategies, which include um, systemically collect, analyze, interpret, and disseminate HIV data to characterize trends in HIV infection, detect active HIV transmission, implement public health intervention, and evaluate public health response. Also identify persons with HIV infections and uninfected persons at risk for HIV. Um, develop and maintain and implement and plan to respond to HIV transmission clusters and outbreaks, provide comprehensive HIV-related prevention services and persons living with um, diagnosed HIV infection, provide comprehensive-related HIV re um, prevention services for HIV-negative persons, also conduct community-level HIV prevention activities, develop partnerships to conduct integrated HIV prevention and care planning, implement structural strategies to support and facilitate HIV surveillance and prevention, conduct data-driven planning, monitoring, and evaluation to continuously improve HIV surveillance prevention and care activities, and also build capacity for conducting effective HIV program activities. Um, CHEP uses the CDC funding to support critical infrastructure, DPH staffing to coordinate planning, community engagement, and also technical support. Direct services dovetail with this grant and are supported with the generosity of the San Francisco's general funds. The priority population for this grant is defined as people living with and at risk for HIV in San Francisco. But we have tailored the grant requirement to include men who have sex with men, African-Americans, Latinx communities, trans women, people who use drugs, and people who are experiencing homelessness. 
This grant enables San Francisco to, to maintain its um, strong emphasis on services for high prevalence populations, while also bringing increased focus to the prevention needs in communities of color and HIV-related disparities they experience in new infections, late diagnosis, um, linkage, retention, and viral suppression. I'm happy to answer any questions you may have, and we hope that you continue to support CHEP and DPH by moving this item forward. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Trainer. I wish you all the success in applying this grant. But uh, Mr. Clerk, could, could we actually also call item five, six, and seven together with this one? Yes, Madam Chair, five, six, and seven, okay. Item number seven is a resolution all, uh, retroactively authorizing the Department of Public Health to submit an application to continue to receive funding for the Ryan White uh, Act HIV AIDS Emergency Relief Grant Program grant from the Health Resources Services Administration and requesting approximately $15.9 million in HIV Emergency Relief Program funding for the San Francisco eligible metropolitan area for the period of March 1st, 2023 through February 29th, 2024. Item number six is a resolution retroactively authorizing the Department of Public Health to accept and expend a grant uh, increase in the amount of approximately 386000 from the California Department of Public Health for a total amount of approximately 1.3 million for participation in the program entitled Sexually Transmitted Disease Program Management and Collaboration for the period of July 1st, 2019 through June 30th, 2024. Uh, item number seven is a resolution retroactively authorizing the Department of Public Health to accept and expend a grant in the amount of approximately 1.6 million from the California Department of Public Health for participation in the program entitled Monkeypox Response Funding Award number MPX-012, City and County of San Francisco, for the period of July 1st, 2022 through June 30th, 2023. And yes, that was uh, items five, six, and seven, Madam Chair. Thank you, Mr. Clerk. Uh, for item number five, we have Bill Blum, Director of Program, Primary Care, and Director of HIV Health Services to give us a brief presentation. Good afternoon. Can you all see and hear me? Yes, thank you. Hi. Thank you, everyone. Actually, we, we decided to opt it out of doing a presentation, um, so I just will give a brief description. Um, as you all know, um, we have been receiving federal funds for uh, the Ryan White uh, Care Act, um, and this is for Part A, which goes to uh, eligible metropolitan areas, which include the combination of, of cities, counties, and states. Um, you can see the amount this year is $15,962,602. We are requesting um, retroactive permission to apply for the grant. Um, as I mentioned, for over 30 years, we've been uh, receiving it, and it is for us to be able to provide um, HIV care-related services to underinsured and uninsured people living with HIV in San Francisco County. Um, we are the grantee also for Marin and San Mateo counties as well. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Bloom. And uh, I don't see any names on the roster for this item, for questions for item number five. Could we go to a presentation for item number six? from Anthony Taylor, HIV STI, Program Manager from Department of Public Health. Uh, good morning, supervisors. Um, so this supplemental funding out 
blind in this A&E was awarded by the California Department of Public Health to augment San Francisco Department of Public Health's CDPH funded sexually transmitted disease or STD program management and collaboration project grant. Next slide, please. So the grant focuses on implementing public health activities to monitor, investigate, and prevent sexually transmitted diseases in collaboration with community-based organizations. Core funding for the grant seeks to prevent congenital syphilis, which is a rare, severe, and sometimes fatal infection and illness. And this is accomplished in partnership with other parts of the San Francisco Department of Public Health, including Maternal Child and Adolescent Health, our San Francisco Health, Net Health Network Primary Care Clinics, and the University of California San Francisco Team Lilly. So this supplemental funding will support expanding access to STD services at San Francisco City Clinic for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer identified populations, and also support expanding access to congenital syphilis prevention in partnership with UCSF Team Lilly. So UCSF Team Lilly's funding will be increased to expand non-brick-and-mortar-based prenatal care to some of San Francisco's most vulnerable population, um, excuse me, most vulnerable people experiencing pregnancy, including those experiencing homelessness in an effort to prevent cases of congenital syphilis. So the reason that the request for this ANE for funding was retroactive is that um, in October of last year, uh, SFDPH was notified by the California Department of Public Health that we were receiving the supplemental funding in the amount of 386274 for our SED program management and collaboration project grant. Um, the funding will increase the annual budgets by about 193000 for both this fiscal year from July 2022 through June 2023 and next fiscal year. Uh, July 2023 through June 2024. And this is going to bring our total funding for the grant to uh, 1.365 million for the period of July 2019 through June 2024. Uh, so thank you, and I'm happy to answer any questions you may have. Thank you. See no name on the roster, uh, no questions for you. And uh, let's move to item number seven for the presentation from Julia Jensen, Deputy Medical Director of STI Prevention and Control Section of the Department of Public Health. Good morning, Supervisors. I'm Dr. Julia Jansen. During the MPOX outbreak, I served as the Operations Section Co-Chief within SFDPH's DOC response structure. Today, we're seeking approval for a retroactive accept and extend spend grant from CDPH to SFDPH entitled MPOX Response Funding Award. This is important funding for SFDPH because San Francisco responded to the NPOX outbreak starting in spring of 2022, with expansion to its DOC response structure from August to October and reduction to a work group through December 2022. These response efforts allowed SFDPH to investigate cases, communicate to the public about the outbreak, and support large-scale prevention and control activities throughout the city. Grant funds would support essential functions that occurred during SF's MPOSH response, including lab support, providing the public health laboratory with necessary equipment and supplies for testing, vaccine supply management, supporting the oversight and logistics for supplying and distributing MPOX vaccines in SF, vaccination in the community, supporting the planning, coordination, and implementation of vaccine sites 
based on epidemiological data, community feedback, and equity, communication with the public, supporting development and implementation of radio ads with reach to BIPOC and Latinx SF residents, as well as supporting bus ads along routes that intersected low-income neighborhoods, and staffing, supporting reimbursement of key existing positions that were involved in response efforts. This request is retroactive because SFDPH received the award letter from CDPH on October 7, 2022, after response efforts had begun. Thank you for your time. I'm also joined by Eduardo Sita, the grants manager, and we're happy to answer any questions. Thank you. I, I should do have some questions. I, I think that my question is, if you could help me answer this, is, you know, given that, uh, that we declare a public health emergency for monkeypox, both locally, and I believe that was also federally as well, um, and I'm pleased to see that we're actually retroactively maybe to receive uh, funding from uh, the State Department, from the California Department of Public Health. Um, do we know that, you know, this so far is one6 roughly $1.6 million. Do we know that we have received previously more or are we going to see uh, coming months to see uh, more retroactive, possibly uh, retroactive grants and reimbursement? Yeah, thank you for that question. I am going to defer that question to our grants manager, Eduardo Sita. Good morning, supervisors. Uh, my name is Eddie, the grants manager for the Population Health Division. Um, at this time, the state of California has not let us know if there's going to be additional funding for the MPOX response. As you know, the in the city of San Francisco, the MPOX declaration ended at the end of October. And so once we submit the expenses and the invoices for this grant, that will let us know there's additional funding for the MPOX response moving forward. Thank you. I, I hope that answers your question. Yeah, thank you. I, I do uh, expect to, like, let's track in the next few months um, to see what the reimbursement rate and total dollar amount uh, versus the dollar amount, uh, you know, spent locally uh, so we can understand our recovery rate. Okay. Thank well, you. Then. Thank you so much. Thank you both. Uh, seeing no more questions uh, on the roster, uh, Mr. Clerk, could we go to public comments for item Four through seven. Yes, Madam Chair, members of the public who wish to speak on items four through seven and are joining us in person to line up now. For those listening remotely, please call 415-655-0001. Enter the meeting ID of 2482-617-4739. Then pound and pound again. Once connected, press star three to enter its speaker line. And for those who are in the queue, please continue to wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted. And that'll be your signal to begin your comments. Seeing no in-person speakers here in the chamber. And Madam Chair, we have no speakers in the queue. Thank you. Seeing no more public comment. Public comment is now closed. Um, I would like to move uh, all items, items four through five, six, and seven to the full board with positive recommendation. And Mr. Clerk, please call a roll. On that motion to forward items four, five, six, and seven to the full board with a positive recommendation. Vice Chair Manuel. Manuel, aye. Member Safai. Safai, aye. Chair Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. We have three ayes. Thank you. And uh, that motion passes. And Mr. Clerk, please call item number eight. Yes, item number 
1998. His A resolution retroactively authorizing the Department of Public Health to accept and expend a grant in the amount of approximately 316000 from the San Francisco Health Plan for participation in a program entitled Cal AIM Incentive Payment Program, or IPP, for the period of September 12, 2022 through February 28, 2023. Members of the public who are joining us remotely and wish to comment, please call 415-655-0001, enter the meeting ID of 242-617-4739, and press pound twice. Once connected, press star three to enter the speaker line. A system prompt will indicate that you raised your hand, and when the system indicates you have been unmuted, that will be your cue to begin your comments. Madam Chair. Thank you, Mr. Clerk. Uh, we have a verbal presentation, a brief one, uh, from Jeff, let me make sure that I say, say your last name correctly, Scarafia, Deputy Chief Information Officer from Department of Public Health. Thank you, Madam Chair. Thank you. Please go ahead. These funds, these funds come to us uh, from San Francisco Health Plan as part of a state program called CalAIM, which focuses on improving services for our in-need Medi-Cal, Medicaid population. These IPP funds will specifically provide for temporary resources to support a surge in efforts as we deploy IT systems to support the program resources. These resources will work in tandem with DPH IT staff uh, and the long-term systems will be supported by DPH IT staff who are PCS employees of Local 21. We're looking forward to creating a system of closed loop referrals to be able to help our most in need citizens verify that they reach the services that they need. With that, we're happy to take any questions on uh, these funds under the CalAIM program. Uh, I don't see any name on the roster, but I, I do have a quick question that I'm seeing in one of the relevant documents listing on subcontracts of $280,000 that is for the consultant to hire Epic Wave 2 TOPS contracts and then along with the travel expenses of $36,000. Could you just walk us through a little bit about um, what those two, the, both the subcontracts sub and the travel expenses look like for us? Certainly. So uh, those resources do work in tandem with resources we have uh, as part of department. But with this surge in work, uh, we are actually seeking highly specialized resources who know a part of our EHR system called Epic CareLink. To find those resources is, is quite difficult and to mm -hmm. find them on demand. Uh, so those are the consultants who will be coming in uh, to help with resourcing that project. The travel expenses are to ensure that they are able to be on site, present, uh, working side by side with the staff and the community-based agencies who will be using these IT systems. Understood. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Clerk, let's go to public comment for this item. Yes, members of the public who wish to speak on this item and are joining us in person should line up now. For those listening remotely, our number is 415-655-0001 with the meeting ID of 2482-617-4739. Then pound twice. Once connected, press star three to enter the speaker line. Please continue to wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted and that'll be your cue to begin your comments. Seeing no in-person speakers here in the chamber. And Madam Chair, we have no uh, speakers in the queue. 
Thank you. Seeing no more public comment, public comment is now closed. Uh, Mr. Click, I'd like to move this item to full board with positive recommendation. Please call the roll. On that motion to forward the resolution to the full board with the positive recommendation, Vice Chair Manlin, Manlin, aye. Member Safai, Safai, aye. Chair Chan, aye. Chan, aye. We have three ayes. Thank you. The motion passes. Mr. Clerk, please call item number nine. Yes, item number nine is a resolution approving a water purchase agreement between the Port Commission and Mission Rock Utilities for purchase of water for port-owned parks and open space at Mission Rock for the term of 30 years, uh, up to a maximum cost of approximately $44.6 million, effective upon approval of this resolution to authorize the Executive Director of the Port to enter into amendments or modifications to the agreement that do not materially increase the obligations or liabilities to the City and are necessary to effectuate the purposes of the agreement or this resolution. Members of the public who are joining us remotely and wish to comment, please call 415-655-0001 with the meeting ID of 2482-617-4739. Then press pound twice. Once connected, press star three to enter the speaker line. A system prompt will indicate that you have raised your hand and when the system indicates you have been unmuted, that is your signal to begin your comments. Madam Chair. Thank you, Mr. Clerk. Uh, just a reminder, we're going to have three minutes presentation for the remaining nine, nine, item number nine and ten, and both actually have fiscal impacts, which require the budget and legislative analyst report. So we'll have the presentation, and then we'll go to our budget and legislative analyst. And today we have John King, uh, Waterfront's Development Manager, Assistant Deputy Director of Real Estate from San Francisco Port. The floor is yours. Thank you. Great. Thank you. Good morning, Supervisors, and thank you, Chair Chan. Uh, this is a pretty a little bit longer presentation, so I'm going to move it quick. If you want me to go back or stop me on anything, please do so. Um, next slide. So very quickly, we're just going to do a high-level summary of the Mission Rock project, including the status of where we are today. Uh, talk about uh, Mission Rock utilities and the black treatment, uh, Blackwater treatment plant and process. That's really the subject of why we're here today, uh, and part of the overall sustainability goals of the port and the project itself. And then to talk a little bit about the agreement itself and give you some of the details that the BLA uh, went through in much more detail in their report. Next slide. So real quick, as an overview of Mission Rock, it's a public-private partnership between the Port of San Francisco and Mission Rock Partners. That is a development team consisting of the San Francisco Giants and Tishman Spire. Um, it's been a long time in the making, over 10 years this project's been in development. Uh, the last five has had significant um, action happening. Um, but as a quick overview, this is a mixed-use development with up to 1,200 units, 40% affordable on-site, uh, significant office of, and life science of up to 1.4 million gross square feet, and a significant retail for the neighborhood and for the activation um, of the local area. Um, we're currently in phase one right now. All four phases are under construction. Uh, next, next slide, please, Boris. I'm going to give you get a little more detail of where we are in phase one, which is today. Uh, so there's four buildings there. Two of these are residential, a total of 537 units. Almost 200 of those are BMR units. Um, and then the office component, which has a life science building that they're currently um, working on lease negotiations and tenant seeking there. Uh, but everybody probably is aware that the headquarters of Visa is also there. Uh, the expect We just got the TCO at, B at Visa earlier this month, so we're actually expecting them to move in later this year. With respect to the first uh, residential development, we're expecting to bring residents into the, into the, the starting this spring and basically continuously running through 2025 as the next phase comes online as well. Uh, next slide, please, Boris. 
Um, and so I'm just going to mention real quick, we have multiple sustainability strategies in the project, but this one today is specific to the water strategy that the port adopted. And what the commitment was, was that all of the non-potable water uses at the site, such as irrigation, toilet water, et cetera, should be, should be supplied from non-potable water um, that's generated, that's treated and created on site. And that comes from potable water that's being used elsewhere. Next slide. Um, next slide, Boris. Uh, so real quick on the black water treatment process, what happens is potable water is purchased off-site from the SFPUC. It's used on-site, and then it's, as it's collected on-site, it's then treated on-site and then used within the site itself for these non-potable uses, as, as a quick overview. Boris, next slide. Um, as it was mentioned in the BLA report, the operator for this is going to be Mission Rock Utilities, who is going to be, um, it's an affiliate through our master developer, and they are a nonprofit that will be operating this for all of the vertical customers, including the port. Next slide. And basically what this is, is this is an agreement for the port to purchase the non-potable water. So this water is going to be treated on site by Mission Rock Utilities, and the port will be purchasing it. The majority of this will be, we will be the biggest user for the park in the first phase of 1.5 million gallons uh, per year. At full build-out, we'll be up to 1.9 million uh, per year. Uh, one thing to note, that this agreement would not take place until the port accepts the parks, which would be probably happening in early 2024. So this is to line this agreement up. Next slide, please. Um, some of the key terms on this, and I'm happy to answer more, or they'll get covered in the BLA report. But there is an annual cap on the port's exposure on this, um, which would be the port. Uh, so it's backstopped at a total amount subject to annual appropriation. It's based upon a capacity charge, which is a series of fixed charges, and then the flow charge, which is essentially a usage charge. Next slide. Um, although this is an agreement between the port and Mission Rock Utilities, the intention is the port may never even hold this agreement directly because we are negotiating a lease. Uh, with Mission Rock partners to actually manage the open space in the park for the overall development. If, that's, if that does happen, it would come to the Board of Supervisors, assuming the term will be over 10 years, uh, 10 years or more later this year. At that point, we would actually assign all the obligations under this agreement to that tenant. So it actually would be, as contemplated, they would act as the agent and the purchaser here. Uh, next slide, please. And in the event that we don't go forward with this or elect to manage this ourselves or this park lease terminates, we do have a backstop that this is all funded by contingent special service tax paid for by the parcels themselves within Mission Rock. So there is no expected set aside from the Ports Harbor Fund, uh, no expected set aside at all from the general fund. The only reason to do an appropriation at all would be to actually expend those uses. So it would be more of an accept and expend. So I moved through a lot of that quick. Um, I do want to thank uh, Nick Menard and uh, Natalie from his team for the great BLA report, uh, Boris for uh, Delpine for taking us through this presentation, Mission Rock Partners. Uh, but I definitely want to give a special thanks to Grace Park from the city attorney's office and Wyatt Donnelly from my team. Um, did an amazing job creating this document that we didn't have a template for um, and negotiated all the right protections for the city and the port. Happy to answer any questions. Thank you. Thank you. Item nine is a resolution uh, approving an agreement between the port and Mission Rock Utilities, um, which is a nonprofit formed by the Mission Rock developer. The agreement uh, is a 30-year agreement with a not to exceed amount of $44.7 million. And as we detail on page 14 of our report, the agreement's based on the expected port's use of uh, recycled water 
um, from a black water recycling plant that's being developed in Mission Rock by the Mission Rock developer. The agreement uh, consists of anticipated capacity and flow charges, which together will, find, uh, will pay for the cost of the port share of the development of the facility, as well as the operating cost of the facility. We did note um, a couple policy considerations in our report. One is that, <coughs> excuse me, uh, you know that the original, I think, plan was for PUC to operate this site. The wastewater enterprise um, typically doesn't operate these kind of facilities, so they are building one on the west side of the city to serve Golden Gate Park. Um, this, th that plan anticipated the site serving both Mission Bay and Mission Rock. This facility that's now being developed by the developer will only serve Mission Rock, and due to its size and the need to move forward with the development of the area, the port opted to um, do this structure that's being proposed now, which is having a nonprofit operate a smaller site to serve Mission Rock. Um, the other issue is that the cost of their water is three times more than the comparable rate for PUC potable water. This is being done, as was mentioned, to comply with the, the city's non-potable water ordinance. So I think that this is in some ways a classic trade-off between an, a set of environmentally friendly requirements and the, you know, with the benefit of using less potable water at the cost of the, tre the treatment. It's possible that a larger facility would have had, that serving a larger area would have had lower unit costs. Um, but based on the compliance with the city's non-potable water ordinance and the um, in information we received from the port, we received a lot of engagement. Um, we're recommending approval of this agreement. Thank you, Mr. Menor. I thought that Vice Chair Manaman has questions. Um, a couple. Um, although one of them I think is probably for the PUC. Do we have anybody from the PUC here or no? We don't have anyone okay. here now. All right. Um, well, then, w one that you can answer is so. I'm trying to think about this lease, this lease for this park. Mm -hmm. What does the lessee get out of running a park? I'm not, there's no financial incentive. Um, part of it would probably be to run it in accordance. You know, you're coordinating a lot of mixed-use actions that are going there, so you can program. You could have special events that are easier coordinated that are tied into the Mission Rock development. Um, it's. But that's a sort of a not-for-profit activity, It's a not-for-profit. Right? Okay. On some level, you could imagine it. It's a little like Yerba Buena Gardens as far as how that structure could be. Uh, it's different, but as far as leasing it over in a long-term lease to a group like that. All right. And the question I guess I have for the PUC that probably can't get answered today um, is, um, I mean, I, I don't feel bad about overpaying for this water because we're probably underpaying or over time, the cost of potable water is probably going to go up because we're, um, you know, the climate is changing and we're all going to die and <laughs> terrible fires and floods and everything. So, redu you know, reducing our reliance on potable water and paying a little bit more to build out the infrastructure to, um, for, uh, for water reuse and recycling is a good thing, I think, um, and an investment in the future. I am and will be following up with PUC. Um, you know, we, our uh, water reuse ordinance, you know, kind of has, has built, has 
advanced the conversation about water recycling in San Francisco, in San Francisco to more of, of particular projects reusing water on site. And I am curious and haven't thought terribly much about how moving away from <clears throat> larger scale plants, I think the PUC's concern about those plants is that they are very expensive and take a long time and are gonna be hard to build out, but there probably is a cost to having all these different projects doing their you know, reuse just within their project boundaries. And I wonder if that's something how the PUC thinks about that, but I'll follow up with them. Yeah. Well, I w one thing I will say is it is unique to, in some level. I mean, we're moving towards the district in general, but the requirement if they were to re re comply within their own in individual buildings, which is what the mandate really is, so it's kind of on the, the continuum of do in individual buildings to a district to a larger district, where do you land? But very good point. I guess for clarification is that one of the reasons why SAPUC is not involved in this scenario it has a lot to do with the fact that Mission Rock, to an extent Mission Bay, that SAPUC did not really invest and build out the infrastructure for utilities delivery. Is that correct? Well, typically what would happen in a scenario like this, I don't know exactly in Mission Bay, but here we would actually build out the infrastructure in, in a lot of cases and deliver it to the SFPUC through an acceptance process as far as it goes because it gets pretty complicated to integrate a public delivery within the site. Um, but that's what would have happened most likely here. Right. So instead of actually going through with SFPUC, where we now have an entity, a nonprofit entity, sort of facilitate the utilities need um, of Mission Rock. That's correct. Mm -hmm. if, if this was probably outside the project site, which you may have had to have it outside the project site to support Mission Bay, we'd have to identify with that site. Then you're more likely to have a PUC delivered. Site. Yeah, I think this is like a sort of like an agreement. I think almost two decades ago. Um, I, I, for just education and just try to have a better understanding the difference between gray water and black water, could you just tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, if I could actually, can I bring, I'm going to bring up uh, Maggie Caden from Mission Rock Utilities here. Um, you can probably speak a little more to this one. Hello, thank you for having us. Um, so the, the gray water system, which we've done you know, in other buildings and is actually in compliance with the ordinance, um, takes all recycled or all used water, not including solid waste. So the difference is when you have the black water, all solid waste also comes into the system, is of course you know, filtered out. That, that sediment is then put into the SFPUC system. So that is, that is the difference there. Thank you, because I think what Vice Chair Mandelman also was referencing was really the gray water implementation for downtown area was really supposed to be what we're doing. And I think we like postponed the implementation of it, given the calls and given the, the logistic challenges that downtown has to implement the gray water mandate. Um, so thank you so much. And, and another, I think this is more for uh, Mr. King for the question is just because I'm I do, do not have the expertise. What does TCO stand for? So that's the Temporary Certificate of Occupancy. Thank you. Which technically means you can occupy the space, but it, there's usually a lot of work to do still to build it out. But it really means it's met a lot of the life safety standards for safe occupancy. And then we're expecting well. Visa to occupy the space uh, when again? I, hopefully to move in it by the end of, uh, end of this year. End of 2020. So yeah, it's a quick parcel A, which is uh, got the affordable units on there too. That should be... In May, we're, we're targeting to move people in. The, the park itself will start to open from the summer uh, throughout the fall. 
visa should move in at the end of the year. Um, we're going to have a TCO for building B in months ahead too. Well, once we have a tenant located for that, they build out the space. So that's probably the, the, the longest time constraint that will determine visa is how much work are they doing on the interior so that they're ready to move in. Thank you. And I want to add to what Vice uh, Chair uh, Mandelman was talking about in terms of uh, a leasee for that space that you anticipate to identify one, hopefully in the near future. The problem is that it's, it's going to be like non, not for profit. And after all, this is a public space. Uh, and so the question that I have is, I totally understand that, you know, in order, it's probably have some kind of vendors, um, maybe amenities like, uh, I don't know, hot dog trucks, ha uh, taco trucks, or out there, or some kind of admission uh, required special events from time to time to sort of maintain uh, sort of operation calls that's required, uh, similar to Yuba Boina. Um, but will there also allow uh, for temporary structure be built on the site or we have yet to determine? It, it, there's a chance it could be something like a food pavilion. Um, even more temporary items could be for special events. Those would be handled through the port's permitting and that process would be defined. It'd be through the lease itself though. It's kind of very separate from the development. But yes, it, there's nothing specifically contemplated, but that would be it. I, I do want to clarify it. it it, the, the operator would be, would be an affiliate of the Mission Rock development team, so it's not going to be to a, um, but we, we are highly aware of the fact that this needs to, this is a public park that needs to feel public while it has activating aspects of it. It, it is subject to uh, regulatory requirements with respect to number of events. Port will also reserve the right to make sure we can have city events, um, et cetera. Thank but you. we will be bringing that to your consideration, Port Commission and then the, the board later this year. Right, especially when an event that triggers 9.118. What's up? Yeah. Thank you. Supervisor Safai. Thank you. Uh, thank you for your presentation. Uh, you went pretty fast at the end, so I have a couple questions here uh, that relate to the amount of money that's paid by the port and the other leases and how that relates to this uh, contingency special services tax. So who pays the contingency special service tax? So if the, if the tax is assessed, um, it would be paid by the vertical parcels themselves. So the, basically the visa as the tenant would, would pay their property owner, the property owner would pay to us. At the, they would pay to the port if the port owned, it was in possession of the property. So all any, four any of Any of the groups, people living in the buildings, like do the, um, the those tenants? Are, they're they're all gonna the be residents? rentals. They're all rentals, so any, any expenses that the rentals would be incurred would be passed through, it, it's a component of rent or any overhead that would be in there like a normal aspect. But I can't well, because imagine. Some, because some of these uh, units, well 40% of them are affordable, so how is that dealt with? Maybe, maybe Maggie can yeah. clarify the logistics on that. Yeah, so similar to any building cost that would not be passed directly through to tenants, um, this would be one of those. So um, in the event you have you know, engineering or maintenance staff, for example, that you're adding, those costs are incurred by the building. Those aren't directly passed on to the residents of the building. And so this would be kind of a similar type cost. There would be no direct assessments um, for these contingent special services taxes to the residents uh, directly. All of the 40% the below market rate units would still have to be in compliance with all of the, the limitations on rents set by the so when is So this is, only if, this is only if the payments from the port and other building owners is not realized? 
Yes, so the contingent special services tax would be triggered by the port. I don't know if you want to talk about it. Um, yeah, it, I, I can explain it, this okay, part of sure. it. Um, Supervisor Safi, so the port has that funding source for the operations of the park and for other obligations associated, such as the Recycle Water Agreement. So we can assess that on an annual basis. We basically say up to this amount is what we need to budget for our, for our expenses. If there's a lease in place and the, and the tenant is actually just charging its HOA directly for these fees instead of this, we would not assess the special service tax because it would almost be like a double dipping of this. Well, that's what I was trying to understand because it says here on page 9 that the port's cap in year one is 672000 and then it says your special services tax, uh, the maximum for fiscal year is one3 and then up to 2.74 for the entire project. So that's it's just kind of yeah. not, it's not 100% clear. Yeah, so basically what it would be is if there was no park tenant, if we were the direct purchaser here, we would set, we would bill the property owners the 1.3 million starting this year, and we would set aside 650,000 or so for the cap amount for this, which is our maximum exposure under this agreement. And then we would, <clears throat> excuse me, use the other 700,000 or so for the management of the park itself directly. If there's a park tenant that's going to take on these obligations, including the management of the park, because that would be at no expense to port also, we just would not assess the 1.3 million. So who are you anticipating to be your park tenant? Uh, it, we most likely would be an affiliate of, of the master developer and the HOA, because it's affiliated with all the housing, um, with all the ownership groups there. Such as, well, it would be kind of it basically be an Rock? entity formed from the owners of the of the parcels of each of the parcels that are part of the HOA would kind of comprise this nonprofit entity. Got it. And so they're going to be a tenant for this open space. That's that's correct. That's con that's what's proposed. And are they does then that absolve the port from paying the water fee, or is it, it's only the portion? It, the, the port, if that, if that lease is in place, we would assign all obligations under this agreement and all the maintenance of the park. So we would have no liability, no, we would, we would only even actually appropriate something as a contingency in the event this terminated, but we would never, we would not expect to spend a dollar. Okay. And then my, my next question was, you, you also kind of went through this really quickly. This was designed, this black water treatment um, uh, facility, and Mission Rock Utilities was created just for Mission Rock. Why was it decided not to serve more of the recycled water needs for the entire area? You didn't really get into that. And, that, and I, I think that builds on uh, Chair Chan's question because if the PUC were involved, you would imagine that they would be more invested in creating a facility that would serve a larger area. Thank you, it Seems like we're missing an opportunity here. Understood. I'm Rebecca Benassini, the Deputy Director for Real Estate and Development, and I was involved long, long before Josh came along, so I wanted to help answer that one. Sure. So at project approvals in 2017, we anticipated building the sustainability feature for Mission Rock only. Uh, we're using parts of the basement in one of the buildings that was the size that the plant could could accommodate was to serve the 11 buildings, which is a really exciting plant. At project approvals, we did not anticipate, and PUC, we didn't have conversations 
to build a larger plant for all of Mission Bay, which is a 300-acre site. Our site is about 16 acres. Um, as the developer started to get into negotiations with PUC, there was a really laudable effort to try to take the opportunity to build something bigger. As it turned out, they couldn't come to an agreement. It took up too much space. Um, and we, they, we amicably, and they supported us in having the developer form this nonprofit with an experienced Blackwater treatment plant operator to just go forward with the sustainability measure for Mission Rock. When you say they couldn't come to an agreement, can you explain a little bit more what it means? I mean, I think that's why, again, building on Supervisor Mandelman's question, it would have been good to have someone from the PUC here. And I hate to speak. I hate to speak for them. Um, so, so I totally agree. We should have maybe a, another conversation and help bring more issues to bear. But I think it was there's there was X number of feet available for the plant, and we couldn't go beyond that because of just the balancing of all of the needs for the site. Um, we did visit the plant just the other day and saw where where it is in the basement and saw sort of how all of the building functions are going around that site. So we were really impressed with that district scale. We got on one parcel, but that's as much efficiency as we were able to get to. Mm. And so that we basically missed that opportunity if there were one. And I don't know the history of Mission Bay and why there, you know, if there were discussions about where that site might have gone on that 300 acres versus this project that came along. Uh, you know, my question quite is, at this point, what we're being presented with is the only option. Correct. Correct. I want to ask a BLA question. Were you able to have any conversations uh, with the PUC with the PUC at all on that on that issue? Yes, we were. We and we also reviewed some documentation. Uh, the I mean, I think part of the issue is that this happened several years ago. Um, but you, you're there's not much. I think th this is water under the bridge. The developer is already building this. Um, the debt's already been issued. There's, there's, you're, you're kind of beyond the decision point. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Or maybe water under the building. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Madam Chair. Thank you, Supervisor Safai. I, I think, um, well, if my memory served me um, correctly, you know, that as former. Um, in fact, land use chair, supervisor Sophie Maxwell, um, which at that time, you know, like bordering her district with Mission Bay and, and now Mission Rock. It wasn't really in discussion then back in 2006. I think that there were a lot of conversation back and forth about infrastructure build out, um, Blackwater. I think even to date is still something to be contemplated, but I don't know as a reality for even our SFPUC at this moment because we still have challenges with gray water. So I, I think that is the challenge that we face, but I think it's a worthwhile conversation to be had. Um, with that, seeing no more uh, name on the roster, uh, Mr. Clerk, shall we go to public comment? Yes, Madam Chair, members of the public who wish to speak on the site or joining us in person should line up now. For those listening remotely, please call 415-655-0001 for the meeting ID of 2482-617-4739. Then press pound twice. Once connected, press pound three to end, uh, star three to enter the speaker line. And for those already in the queue, please continue to wait until the system indicates you haven't unmuted, and that'll be your signal to begin your comments. Seeing no in-person speakers here in the chamber. Uh, Mr. Lim, can you uh, unmute our caller, please? Mr. 
when we deal with the port, we are dealing with Public Trust Act, which our supervisors must have not read the Public Trust Act. The port is also an enterprise department. We favor climate change and everything that goes with it. So what's the problem if uh, the Salesforce is doing the same thing, the Moscone Center is doing the same thing? What is the problem that uh, this park cannot do the same thing? We are kind of making a, 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 like a joke, you know, water running under the building. The city, the city cannot address climate change. Our Department of Environment cannot address climate change because of less funding. You supervisors are clowns. First you read the Public Trust Act, read about climate change, and ask yourself, you, the city and county of San Francisco, what have you all done in order to conserve water or to deal with a, a situation like this? And let's not go to Sophie Maxwell. She sold out the community. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for your comments. Mr. Lamb, do we have any more callers in the queue? Madam Chair, that completes our telephonic queue. Thank you. Seeing no more public comments, public comment is now closed. Colleagues, I would like to move this item um, with positive recommendation to the full board. Um, Mr. Clerk, please call the roll. Yes, uh, on that motion to forward this resolution to the full board with a positive recommendation, Vice Chair Mandelman. Mandelman, aye. Member Safai? Aye. Safai, aye. Chair Chan? Aye. Chan, aye. We have three ayes. Thank you. The motion passes. Thank you so much. Um, Mr. Clerk, please call item number 10. Yes, item number 10 is a resolution approving a Port Commission lease with Autodesk Incorporated, a Delaware corporation located at Pier 9, Suite 116, in Bays 1 through 3 for approximately 30.5,000 square feet of office and shed space and license area for solar panels and public improvements for a term of one year with one option to extend the term for one year. Effective upon approval of this resolution at a monthly rent of approximately $124.5,000 and to authorize the executive director of the port to enter into any additions, amendments, or other modifications to the lease that do not materially increase the obligations or liabilities to the city or port and are necessary or advisable to complete the transactions which this resolution contemplates and effectuate the purpose and intent of this resolution. Members of the public are joining us remotely and wish to provide comment for this uh, please call 415-655-0001. The meeting ID is 242-617-4739 to press pound twice. Once connected, press star three to enter the speaker line. A prompt will indicate that you have raised your hand. And when the system indicates that you've been unmuted, that's your signal to begin your comments. Madam Chair. Thank you, Mr. Clerk. Uh, today we have Rebecca Benassini, Direct Deputy Director of Rio Estate from San Francisco Port. Thank you. 
Thank you so much, Ch Chair Chan and Supervisor Safai and Mandelman. Before you is a one-year lease with a one-year option for the site at Pier 9, which is on the Embarcadero, located just north of Broadway. Our current tenant is Autodesk. They've been there about uh, 10 years now. Their current rent is about $81,000 for the 30,000 square feet that they occupy in the shed. It includes some office space as well as some shed space. The new lease would bring them up to the market after these 10 years to $124,500. Uh, they have been and continue to be a tenant in good standing. We are very pleased to continue their occupancy at this market rate lease. I do want to note that the new lease replaces the existing lease as of today, February 1st. Autodesk has agreed that should we approve the lease and sign it, then they would start paying that new rent as of today. So we do concur with the BLA's recommendation to amend the lease to make clear that if it's approved by the board in the coming weeks, then it would be retroactive to today, February 1st. That concludes my remarks. Thank you so much. Thank you. Excuse me. Item 10 is a resolution approving a, uh, a new lease uh, between the port and a private uh, company, Autodesk, uh, for approximately 31,000 square feet of office space. The lease is consistent with the parameter rents that were set by the port for this type of space. We detailed the lease on page, the fiscal impact on page 19 of our report, which shows that over the two-year period, uh, this would generate approximately $3 million uh, in, in rental revenue for the port. And as stated, this, um, because of the date, the effective date of the lease on file, we do recommend a clarifying amendment to the resolution to state that it's retroactive. Thank you. I don't see any questions on the roster, but I, I want to say that, you know, I think we have gone through this uh, in the last budget cycle uh, with San Francisco Port in terms of um, tenants management, uh, just your strategy and your approach, and to really want to make sure that it's equitable, uh, but also feasible for, for Port and for our waterfront. Um, I will uh, want to advise to see if in the coming months before we, you know, having uh, budget conversation is for the port to perhaps take time to either brief our office, uh, myself, or uh, you know the committee members here, especially Supervisor Safai, who's really good at leases, um, negotiations, I want to say, um, to sort of just help us understand your strategy uh, and your approach in the coming months to both um, support the existing tenants, uh, such as Autodesk. I think that this is a, actually a good negotiation, but also moving forward, how do we, um, in the events that there are tenants who, uh, with expiring leases, what are, what are our approach um, to either keep them or to identify new tenants? Uh, just look forward to some of those conversations in advance uh, before you come back for uh, a lease agreement uh, approval. Thank you, and uh, seeing no questions from colleagues, and uh, Mr. Clerk, please, let's go to public comment. Yes, members of the public who wish to speak on this item or joining us in person should line up now. For those listening remotely, please call 415-655-0001. Enter the meeting ID of 2482-617-4739 and pound twice. Once connected, press star three to enter the speaker line. Please continue to wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted and that will be your signal to begin your comments. Seeing no in-person speakers here in the chamber. And Madam Chair, we have no speakers in the queue. Thank you. No, no more public comment. Public comment is now closed. 
Um, Mr. Clerk, I would like to move this item forward with positive, to the full board with positive recommendation. Please call the roll. Uh, Chair Chan, did we want to amend the resolution for retroactive? Oh, sorry, my apologies. Yes, uh, let's, um, do I actually need to do the roll call or can I make the motion with a second to adopt the, to adopt, never mind. I'll make the motion to adopt uh, uh, the recommendation from the budget and legislative analyst budget and legislative analyst amend the proposed resolution to state the approval is retroactive so that it's date back to February 1st, which is today, to allow this lease to move forward in the events full board approved. So, um, Mr. Clerk, please call the roll for the motion to amend and adopt. Yes, on that motion, uh, to amend the resolution to state that the approval is retroactive as, um, as offered by the, um, by the BLA, Vice Chair Mandelman. Mandelman, aye. Member Safai, aye. Safai, aye. Chair Chan, aye. Chan, aye. We have three ayes. Thank you. And uh, please, uh, let's make. I make the motion to move this amended item um, to the full board with positive recommendation. And on that motion, for this resolution to the full board with positive recommendation as amended, Vice Chair Mandelman, Mandelman, aye. Member Safai, aye. Safai, aye. Chair Chan, aye. Chan, aye. We have three ayes. Thank you, the motion passes. Mr. Clerk, are there any other business before us today? Uh, Madam Chair, that concludes our business. Thank you, the meeting is adjourned.